0: I'm tired of all the labels and paradigms that have to be, that are sort of implying that they have this magic answer for everything, whether it's for an athlete or just an ordinary person.
1: That Triathlon Show, episode 99. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Monique Ryan on the topic of endurance, sports, nutrition. We try to go into some things beyond the basics, because you already know that you need to eat your veggies and don't eat too much processed food. So that's not what this episode is about. Instead, some of the things that we discuss are the common mistakes that endurance athletes make with their nutrition. Again, beyond those... uh, basic things, Uh, labeled diets like paleo and so on. What's uh, Monique's and the researches and scientific evidence's uh, take on that? Hydration outside of training in your day-to-day life, supplements and deficiencies in endurance athletes, special considerations for females, masters athletes, vegetarians and vegans, and quite a bit more. But uh, yeah, let's just hear that in the interview. A little bit about Monique Ryan. She is a registered dietitian, nutritionist RDN, the author of the book Sports Nutrition for Endurance Athletes and three other books, but that one is the big one produced by Velo Press. So so yeah, it's a very very credible one. And she has been a member of the performance enhancement team for both USA triathlon and USA Cycling. She has a wealth of experience from working with both age groupers and elites at the very top of their sports. And has 25 years of experience from endurance sports, nutrition, a lot of it, again, with those very top-level athletes that really demand the best, the cutting edge, and she has managed to stay at the forefront of that cutting edge in sports nutrition practices for over two decades, so I'm absolutely thrilled to have managed to get Monique on the show today. I think it's really important to hear the opinions of somebody who she really, really knows and understands the science and the theory, but she also does this in practice every single day and sees how it works in the field with the athletes that she works with. So I think that's very important, and it's an important complement to the more scientific, research-based episodes that I did a few episodes back in episodes 94 and 95 on nutrition, but this adds the practical perspective to things, this interview with Monique. So, before we go into the interview, let's thank our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration, the sweat experts. Get your electrolyte needs met by taking their free online sweat test. And then, until the end of February, you can get a free box of Precision Hydration electrolyte product On precisionhydration.com, just use the discount code thattriathlonshow, all one word, to get your box for free. And if you've already used that, then you still get the 15% discount as usual. Second, this episode is also sponsored by Triathlon Corner, the triathlon webshop at triathlon-corner.store personally i've actually with my continued knee issues uh, decided to for the first time in my life try a pair of hokas uh, to see if that helps with my running injuries i must caveat this with i don't believe that shoes are any miracle fix or or can be a miracle fix of running injuries but i'm willing to test to see if the hokas can help take away some of my apparent fragility and uh, Triathlon Corner, Hokus, among other tough brands. So that will be where I order mine for sure. All right. So without any further ado, let's go into the interview with Monique Ryan. Today's guest on that triathlon show is Monique Ryan. And uh, Monique is uh, the author of uh, the book, which now has uh, Come out with a new, updated third edition: Sports Nutrition for Endurance Athletes. And she has a very strong background in uh, in elite endurance sports and a beginner, working with a lot of age groupers and as well as elites, triathlon, cycling, uh, etc. So, Monique, how are you? Welcome to the show.
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's winter here in Chicago, so training is indoors right now.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. That's probably the same as in my my native fin- Finland, but I, I managed to escape that. and I'm sitting here in Lisbon and pretty happy with a sunny bike ride that yeah. I just did this morning. So very nice decision. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> Let's
1: get into uh, some topics that I think are uh, not maybe the most common questions that uh, you hear all the time. time and that's the, the the idea of this interview that I, I don't want to just repeat and regurgitate information that people have heard many times, Okay. because we probably all know intuitively that we should eat a varied diet with a minimum amount of processed food and fast food and that sort of thing. So, so we can probably skip past that. But... Uh, you probably see because you work work with a lot of athletes athletes and endurance athletes especially some common mistakes that go beyond those uh, simple things and and what what are they typically those mistakes that people make
0: maybe not planning ahead and eating on the fly a little bit too much and not having um good food available to make nice meals and have good snacks available but i think you know if i had to make a more general statement as well i'd say Um, maybe they don't appreciate how their training um, requirements vary on different types of training days. So you did a nice long bike today, your energy needs requirements are much higher on a bike ride day, let's say, than if you're doing like an easy run, 45, 60 minutes. So just not really appreciating how their energy needs can vary from day to day within a certain training cycle. And perhaps under fueling on certain days, and um, not really matching up with what they need for complete recovery.
1: Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's brilliant. And uh, do you do you think that that's the way that it usually goes? That people actually underfuel more commonly than than eat too much in endurance sports. I
0: think it. I think it's quite possible when they're at a certain level, but then you know you might have days that um, are a little bit easier, and you really can't eat. As much as you're used to eating on, on other days as well, so I think just appreciating the differences can be difficult. But yeah, I think as triathletes, especially in in the longer distances, seventy point three and one forty point six, as they're getting towards um, uh, a higher harder training cycle and their um, energy, you know, they're doing brickwork. They might not appreciate just really how much they need to consume. And then another really important thing that I see people not always doing early enough before a race, maybe especially like for an age grouper who's doing their first or second race, is really determining how to develop a fueling and hydration plan during training and starting that process early on in the season so that when the race rolls around, they're really ready to go and they know exactly what to do.
1: Yeah, and we have a brilliant episode on reference episode on, on that topic. It's uh, with Jesse Kropolnicki, uh, who you may know actually. I, I'm not sure, but uh, he's a, a triathlon coach and he was on episode 41. And we talked okay. a lot about I that race and training. Is. Yeah, okay, brilliant. Uh, so, about how to estimate your your caloric needs and uh, your energy intake needs uh, is there a way to to know based on what training you did today like roughly how much you should eat and or w- what's your idea on that
0: yeah there's different multipliers that you can use like there there's definitely formulas and in, and in, in sports nutritionists and sports dietitians and you use these different formulas and then we sometimes we get data from a person's um you know, uh, in terms of what they burn for certain workouts, they might collect some data on that. And of course, those are estimates to a certain extent. But we can kind of put that all together with their daily activity and estimate what they need for a particular type of training day. So I do that a lot for my clients for all the different kinds of training days that they have. But if you want sort of a quick reference, um, my book does have multipliers for different amounts of training that you can use. You know, how many calories per kilogram of body weight, whether it's 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, depending on that training day. So there are ways to just estimate it on your own. And there's probably apps that estimate it as well. I don't really use the apps because I just use the formulas that I know that are trustworthy. Do
1: you have any example of those numbers from your book based on uh, based on kilogram body weight for a certain type yeah. or amount of training?
0: So if you're doing 45 to 70 minutes. 75 minutes of moderate to high intensity training, you need six and a half to eight grams of carbohydrate per kilogram. So a lot of it hinges around the carbohydrate. Um, Athletes can also have their resting metabolic rate measured. You know, sometimes they want to do that. They can have that done if they uh, get some testing done.
1: Do you have a recommendation for what testing to do? I know that, for example, in-body measurements do that. I'm not quite sure which testing protocols are the most uh, or are good enough, basically. So do you have recommendations for that?
0: Well, there's different equipments here in the United States. I'm not sure what's available to everybody. um, But there's different places that do the testing. So there's different... uh, Equipment. I don't know that there's one that I recommend um, particularly. Yeah, I think I a mean, lot the, one, of them... the one
1: that I mentioned is kind of the impedance uh, measurement based, so me- measuring from both feet and, and hands the impedance, and based on that. And uh, I think that in at least in Europe, is uh, is normal all over Europe. And and yeah. I've understood that it should be pretty pretty good. But uh, yeah, I don't know well, if you don't have any specific recommendations, we we can. Move on from that, but okay. because uh, what I wanted to ask is uh, about those carbohydrates so are you familiar with the uh, uh, or i'm sure you are actually the the nutrition uh, position statement from sports nutrition position statement from the uh, American College of sports medicine and uh, the other entities uh, canadian sports sure. uh dietitians yeah so so i guess is the tables that you have during your book are they kind of similar to to what yeah. they had yeah okay they're very similar
0: so for instance like with moderate activity of about an hour of moderate exercise you might need anywhere from 33 to 37 kcals per kilogram um, high activity you might need 40 to 53 kcals per kilogram very high you might need 53 to 63 and then So we take those energy needs, but then we also look at, for me, it's kind of like, well, how much carbohydrate does this person need for their training? And this includes carbohydrate you take in before training, during training, after training, you know, your recovery, but also what you consume during. And on a really high day, uh, you might need six and a half to 10 grams per kilogram. So it really, there are a lot of variations and there's definitely ranges, and these are def- definitely consistent with um, the position statement in Canada and the US, but also with the International Olympic Committee sports nutrition guidelines as well. So they're all very consistent with one another in that sense. They're all based on research. And, yeah. And so, so, so no.
1: That begs the question, in the, in this day and age, with with all talk about uh, low-carb, high-fat and ketogenic diets and so on. Why is it carbohydrate-based? And, and why, without going into too much detail, but... Uh, right. Yeah, just expand well, a bit. Well, basically, it's
0: carbohydrate-based because we know that that's a fuel that we burn um, during endurance training and during exercise, along with fat. So I think it basically is a way of allowing the athlete to know how to eat to make sure they have that fuel, they have those good fuel stores for training, and they can replenish those fuel stores for the next training session. And, of course, many times in triathlon, you have a few hours between training sessions, or you might have 12 hours, sometimes 24 hours. But because we, we do a lot of different workouts, we might have less recovery time. So I think really where the ketogenic diets have evolved has been with the ultra-endurance athlete more than anything – and the research is still evolving, and I think that's great that people are researching this because if if we can find a way to tap into those fat stores and use those more more um, exclusively in training, that certainly has its benefits because they're somewhat unlimited. But re- it's really kind of the ultra-endurance um distance that's really would benefit from that and the research is still pretty young in that area so it's it's kind of a new diet it's not really something that's been tried out um i think athletes traditionally try out different things and experiment with them and i think that's okay too to a certain extent that you want to make sure you're experimenting smartly and using principles that are you know still going to get you to the race start and help you with your race um I think the ketogenic diet is a big commitment because my understanding is you have to really be following that for months and months. I personally haven't worked with anybody that's had great success with it. Um, a lot of my clients are clients who are, you know, wanting to move up their age group age group status or start doing their first um, seventy point three or one forty point six, and they just really want to have a successful race. They want to get, you know, have good training and get to the start and know that they have a good race plan and that they're going to finish that race. And then if I work with a top age grouper that wants to qualify for Worlds, they're at that point, maybe they want to make some body composition changes, a little bit of fine tuning, but I don't think they're going to make any drastic changes to their diet at that point since they've already had good success.
1: So what's your take on other different named diets that are around like paleo and LCHF, which is uh, less extreme than ketogenic diets and and so on, just named diets in general?
0: Well, you know, if I work with somebody and let's say it's early in the season and they want to um, change their body composition, maybe drop some body fat, then I might adjust some of these requirements because certainly I would have to. But I, I want them to do it at the right time in the season and do it smartly and not go to any extremes. Um, I don't know that a super low carbohydrate diet is going to train somebody to burn more fat in a a certain kind of training session. Um, They might want to do some fat burning workouts early in the season. Uh, But again, that can be tough to do um, for long, long workouts because eventually you really just can't finish the workout. So you really have to do it smartly and you have to do it wisely. But there really isn't a lot of Evidence at this point to show that uh, training without carbohydrate during long, slow distance rides really changes body composition per se. Now there might be some changes in the muscle, but again, no one's really shown that that it ultimately improves performance. Uh, so, th- so again, there's still we still need more information on that. Um, But I would say if anybody's going to do that, they should do that earlier in the season, maybe 24 weeks before their race, not 10 weeks before their race.
1: Yeah and, and it sounds like you you kind of do it naturally but you you don't need to to call it uh, call it that that you're doing any certain diet you just change what you eat and it's uh, right. it's like training you change how you train but that doesn't mean right. that you suddenly have some uh, some specific name or label you don't need those labels that's right. uh, it makes it Yeah
0: the the labels and the paradigms like for anybody whether it's an ordinary person or an athlete, it's like, why does it always have to be a special diet? Why does it always have to have a special name, and why is it always something new and different that nobody else has thought about? Um, you know, paleo can mean so many things to different people. If if it means to somebody that they eat less processed food and they eat foods, packaged foods with less ingredients, one or two ingredients instead of twelve ingredients, I think that's fine. But paleo means different things to many different people. Um, sometimes it means a low carb diet. Um, sometimes it means a very high protein diet and ketogenic diets really are not necessarily high protein diets. They're really higher fat diets. So there's lots of different ways of looking at these macronutrients and what you need for different kinds of workouts. But I, but as a dietitian who's been a dietitian for many years, it's, I'm, I'm tired of all the labels and paradigms that have to be, that are sort of implying that they have this magic answer for everything, whether it's for an athlete or just an ordinary person
1: yeah i yeah, totally agree i couldn't agree more uh so wh- what about how do the is it different between between the elites and the age group groups when you work with them in in terms of how they tend to fuel like before working with you before starting working with you what you what they are doing initially perhaps and and should it be different except of course the elites need to eat a whole lot more uh than the age groupers but but in terms of the Type and of food that they eat. I guess that kind of goes back to the tables that you had, but how different is it? Yeah, to them? I,
0: I guess the same rules of science apply, you know, because it's just sort of like how the body works and how it uses fuel and how you need to fuel during a workout. But certainly the, the elites have very demanding training programs and um, they have a lot of different workout, brick workouts. They, they might do more two day workouts because that this is their whole life as opposed to a person like myself, who has a job as well. And um, you really have to map it out for them so that it can get all the food in that they need and really distinguish what workouts are important in terms of having um, good fueling during the workout. Um, I think what's also really important for them is just having food readily available, you know, so that because they're so busy training, if they're training, you know, 30 hours a week or more. Um, the other thing, too, is they have to really be careful what they eat around workouts. So a lot of, of course, as dietitians, we want people to eat whole foods and whole grains and high fiber foods and quality foods. But sometimes, of course, around workouts, you have to look at what's easy to digest and um, just going to be easy on your stomach so that you can go and train in an hour, an hour and a half. But you need to get in a snack because you need to refuel and get some food into your system.
1: Let's move on to, to hydration. That's uh, a whole chapter or even a section in your book. And, uh, so, and that's something that I don't think, at least on this podcast, we haven't discussed a whole lot in terms of the normal day-to-day hydration. So let's start there. What, How much should we drink uh, and, and how does training then affect that?
0: Um basically you want to really focus on daily hydration uh very very cl- from the from the get go so that when you really get to a training session you're not terribly underhydrated because you will get underhydrated in that session and you might have a really high sweat rate and you need to keep up with it so just starting the day with plenty of fluid um And um, tea or water or coffee. You know, we know now that caffeine's not dehydrating. Um, Juices, milk, they all provide hydration. Even foods like yogurts are going to help with some hydration. And, of course, a lot of fresh fruits contain fluid as well. But just just being aware that when you wake up in the morning, you need to start hydrating from the start. And you need to just hydrate regularly throughout the day so that when you start your training program, um, you're hydrated for that session. You know, some people might uh, sweat two or three liters per hour and they have a very high sweat rate and they're not really going to be able to keep up with that sweat rate completely during training. So starting out dehydrated already or a little underhydrated is not going to be very helpful. Um, you know, how much you need probably depends on your body weight. Obviously a lot of what, a lot of our weight is fluid, but just checking the color of your urine and seeing that it's pale can indicate that you're well hydrated, um, it doesn't have to be clear just could be pale here we say it should look like lemonade and not apple juice it's kind of the um, way we have people check the different levels of hydration with their urine color so just hydrating throughout the day and and maintaining that hydration is important it might mean that you need 64 ounces of water in a day or fluid it might mean that you need 80 to 120 just depends on your body size
1: do you think that most endurance athletes uh... Underhydrate or overhydrate, or do they get it mostly right on average? I think
0: they get it mostly right in their daily diet. I think it would be, you know, again, I think it gets back to um, your lifestyle. Like, do you have a really busy job and do you, um, is it hectic and do you just putting things into place, having that water bottle handy so that you're hydrating at work, um, just staying on top of it, being aware of it. Um, but I think, I think in daily life, they, they get it pretty well because they're thirsty and um, they know they need to hydrate. I think what they, don't, what they need to learn a little bit more, maybe the age grouper, is what is their sweat rate and how much do they need to hydrate? So you probably, like you said, you have a whole podcast on that, and that's great. And We also um, had
1: an additional one on just the hydration side, and that's with Andy Blow in uh, episode 49, just for the listener's reference. So, so yeah, we go into detail there so the listener can reference that.
0: So a lot of it goes back to planning, and just making sure you stay on top of that.
1: Yeah, perfect. What about it's become become kind of trendy, trendy to get uh, blood work, lab work done on, and even uh, genetic tests these days. On, for example, how you tolerate different different food groups and uh, that sort of thing. What What do you think about that? Is that useful?
0: Um, in general, do you do you know what more specifically what type of tests you're thinking of?
1: Well, I'm thinking of really two different groups. So, so blood work, but I guess there are a lot of different things that you can you can measure in when you take get some blood blood work done. So, I don't have any specific idea about that, and also genetic tests, okay. and I don't have any specific ideas for, for that either.
0: Okay. I right now I don't um, refer people for specific genetic tests, though I know there are some that can tell you a little bit about if you have certain genes in terms of are you better at burning carbohydrate, are you better at burning fat. Um, Those are often geared toward weight loss programs more than athletic programs. But um, I think that some of the gene testing that's out there, it's a little bit new. But I know as for my practice, you know, I like to know about people if they have uh, certain genes and they need certain types of B vitamins, a certain form of B vitamin supplements. I also do food sensitivity testing. So this is a food sensitivity test that I do for all different kinds of people, but for the athlete, it might be for somebody who has uh, GI problems, irritable bowel syndrome, and, you know, not not even necessarily related to things they might experience in a long-distance triathlon, but just in their daily life. So it can really help. I have found that to be very effective in my practice, and I do that test quite a bit for different people. Um, I think there's a real avenue here for all these athletes that have GI problems to identify if they have some real food sensitivities now these are different than food allergies they're different um, they're anything but an IgE reaction they're all different kinds of immune reactions and that increase inflammation in the body so it's you know, I also work as a functional and integrative nutritionist. So I find that this test is actually very helpful in my practice. And then I also do a micronutrient test. It's based here in the U.S. Um, that looks at micronutrient levels, not just in the blood, but in the lymphocytes. So it's really giving an indication of functional um, ability of these nutrients and what the storage levels of these nutrients are. So it's really interesting because a lot of very stressed people, a lot of very athletic people are low on B, a lot of different B vitamins, which are actually, you know as we know, used up to process energy. And we use those a lot um, in training. And also when we're under a lot of stress, whether it's physical or mental stress, we can use up certain B vitamins as well. So just there definitely seems to be a pattern. And then, of course, it's always good for an endurance athlete to know about their iron levels and if those levels are adequate, too, for oxygenation. So I think there's actually um, a lot of interesting tests out there that can be beneficial. It's it's sort of what the athlete wants to invest in. And if they're coming to me with a certain problem, I'll recommend certain types of testing.
1: Okay, brilliant. So that's actually one of the things that I was going to ask about uh, deficiencies that are common. So B-vitamin, iron, do we have uh, anything else that's common just so we have them all referenced in one place in, in this interview for endurance athletes?
0: Well, I think it's always good for any athlete to look at vitamin D levels and traditional vitamin, blood vitamin D tests can be a very good place to start um, because we know that vitamin D receptors are really in every organ in the body, but we also know that there's a link with vitamin D and perhaps muscle strength and muscle power, um, definitely with the immune system, obviously for healthy bones. But you know for the athlete in the immediate, it might be just keeping your immune system healthy so you don't get sick during training, but also in terms of performance and power, it might be an important nutrient as well. So vitamin D would be good. Iron would be good. Um, just adequate intake of B vitamins and then just all the different electrolytes of course calcium um, magnesium and of course sodium and potassium which aren't difficult to get in the diet
1: Mm. so what are are there some for example I know that in Finland when I lived there I always during winter and uh, the the winter half year I I took a vitamin D uh, supplement because that was just what you had to do because there's so little sun. right but uh is that something that uh, goes for the entire? I don't know for 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 everybody basically, unless you live close to the equator. Or
0: it, it might, it might, but it's probably good to check. Have your levels checked. It's not a very um, expensive test to do here in the U.S. It's not a big deal to get your vitamin D levels checked. Um, it, even if you're near the equator, it might be important. Obviously, a lot of us, when we are, are outdoors training, we wear sunscreen. We might not train at Um, You know, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. when you're really going to make more vitamin D from the sun. And you might just need 15 minutes of exposure a few times a week to really make adequate vitamin D at the right times of the year in the right location. So it's really about um, if you're going to supplement, do it wisely. But keep in mind that if you're wearing sunscreen, you are probably blocking some vitamin D uh, production, though not completely. But again, there's not like a formula for that. Um, wear this sunscreen for this long and you won't or, or whatever. Um, So I think again, having levels checked, uh, a basic supplement, uh, you know, the, uh, what we call the daily value might be helpful, but some people definitely need more than that. However, I wouldn't really take high doses without checking blood levels first and then rechecking them and seeing where they are. So a lot of times people are put on a protocol where they have blood levels Corrected. They'll be on a, a moderate to high dose for several weeks, and then they'll be on a maintenance dose, and then they'll get that checked. But even here in where I am in, in Chicago, um, people might supplement in the summer because they're not necessarily out in the sun all day, and they do wear sunscreen for obvious reasons.
1: Yeah. So is that the general guideline that you would give on supplements in general that uh, it's worth getting it tested? Or are there some supplements that you would recommend to endurance athletes uh, just even without having some sort of test done for whatever it is that may be deficient?
0: I think it just depends on what levels you take and what the vitamin is. You know, if you want to take like the basic daily value of vitamin D, um, I think that's fine. I think if you if you suspect a deficiency and you want to take higher doses, get your blood levels test. Um, if you want to take a good basic multivitamin with the daily value of iron and B vitamins, I think that's fine. But if you're feeling a lot of fatigue and um, you're training really hard, a B-complex really wouldn't be harmful, but um, there are some genetic tests that you can do that tell us what forms of Bs might be better if you need methylated Bs or um, because of the way you absorb different um, B vitamins based on your genes. So there's testing you can do for that, but again, a B complex is not going to be a harmful thing to take for most people if it's a moderate dose as well, or just a basic multivitamin But in a lot of the basic multivitamins have like the daily value of vitamin D as well. But there's so many different kinds you really want to check and and get a recommendation for that.
1: Yeah. And let's move on to, you mentioned already GI issues in training and racing and even outside of that. Mm -hmm. And that's a large enough topic that we should probably have a different podcast episode on it. But just quickly, what are some common causes of, of GI issues?
0: Are you talking about GI issues during training?
1: Yeah, let's talk about during training and racing.
0: Um, I think with during training and racing, it's probably about, first of all, determining your sweat rate and looking at how much fluid you can consume, picking the right sports drink and also knowing what sports drink is going to be on the course of your race because you need to rely on that for um, an outside source of fuel. And you can't always have everything that you need brought to the race by yourself. Um, And then really practicing that and making sure that you have a sports strength that has, you know, a good glucose to fructose ratio. It's not too high in fructose. You know, two to one ratio is what we look at now. Um, Some people are more sensitive to fructose, so just finding out if that's the case. But um, working with products that are, are going to be well tro- tolerated by you, and practicing that over and over again in training and refining that um, protocol so that you're not overdoing the carbohydrate. It's not too concentrated, so it has to be a little bit a con- little bit more concentrated, maybe for an Ironman distance race than for an Olympic race, because you just need more fuel. And if you're going to add in semi-solid food or solid food, you know, are you taking that with enough fluid, electrolyte fluid? Are you um, taking it? in the right doses, at the right times. So what I have my athletes do is really pl- you know, test this out and plan every hour on the bike and every hour on the run what they're going to do and how much carbohydrate they're going to take, how much fluid they're going to take, how much of that comes from a sports drink, and how much of that is going to come from other products if they need that for a longer race. Um, so I'm really careful with solid food as well because, of course, that's harder to digest. We know that... Um, liquid food is going to be a little bit easier on the stomach, and just really practicing it over and over again. So if there's underlying um, GI issues, that has to be addressed in the daily diet, maybe with Again, I would, for me, it would be identifying food sensitivities or putting them on a good probiotic or looking at if they need digestive enzymes for a period of time, if there's other things going on with their GI tract, and working in their daily diet and their, just their daily life to make sure that they're eating properly and are on certain supplements that might help them so that when they get to training and racing... Those issues have been taken care of, and then when they are getting to training and racing, they have a really good training and racing plan as well.
1: What about for those that have GI issues in training only, but even without uh, supplementing, even without the the sports drinks and and gels and and any sort of of nutrition or or uh, hydration intake? in, for example, just an easy 45-minute run? Because I know at least I coach uh, at least one athlete with with those issues. Is that a uh, a marker of those underlying issues that uh, needs to be solved?
0: It might be a marker of those underlying issues. And if I, if I work with somebody and we try different strategies and they're still having problems, I would probably refer them to a GI physician hmm. to have some testing done just to see what's happening. You know, I did work with a pro years and years ago. And it turned out that um, that pro had gastroparesis and she just, she needed to see a GI doctor and get some testing done and really determined that that was what the issue was. It wasn't that she didn't have a great, a good plan, but with that information, we, the plan was able to be modified to work a little bit better for her because we knew what the underlying issue was. Yeah. And she only had those issues in racing, really long, long training and, but really mostly in racing.
1: Yeah. So let's talk briefly also about some special food groups. And uh, let's start with uh, vegetarians and vegans. Uh, is there okay. Are there any special considerations for this group?
0: Um, sure. I mean, making sure that they really understand what uh, high-quality sources of protein are and getting enough of those protein sources because plant sources of protein tend to be a little bit less concentrated proportion than animal sources so just getting enough of those foods um, getting a good variety of different uh, foods in the diet and um, probably supplementing a little bit especially for vegans you know with the b12 and vitamin d and things like that but i I think it can't hurt to do that for both vegetarians and vegans Um, and just making sure that they understand what good quality protein they need to have on a regular basis um, in their daily diet and meals that can support that.
1: And what about masters athletes? Is are there any things that come with age that uh, need to change when it comes to nutrition?
0: Probably. Um, just looking at that, they're taking good care of their bones. You know that they're actually getting all the nutrients they need for good bone health. Though I think that it could start at any age. Um, they might be doing a little bit more weight training, so maybe just giving them good guidelines for. Re- Nutrition around weight training to really maintain and build muscle because you tend to lose a little bit more muscle, and um, sometimes your energy needs—you know—you might not be able to eat quite as much as you used to. Your your metabolism is not is not as high like a hummingbird is quite as much as it used to be, so you might need to take it down a notch just to. Maintain a body composition that you want to be at, but not necessarily. And I think I would look at that more of it as an for an individual, as just to make that a general statement, but something to just be aware is a possibility.
1: And what about female athletes? Are there any special considerations for them?
0: Um, I think with female athletes, you know, I think they have smaller; they tend to have smaller stomachs. So just hydrating during the race and replacing that fuel if you're trying to get in three liters of fluid that might be a lot for them to empty from their stomach they might have a smaller stomach Um, looking at iron stores I think would be really important too and making sure they have good iron status and um, really otherwise it's just understanding that they they might be smaller athletes so their energy needs might be you know on an easy day might be much lower than for a male athlete and just understanding that different portions might be needed for them but that really goes back to just individualizing a nutrition plan for an athlete not just cuz they're a female but just cuz of their body size and their training.
1: Yeah. And uh, actually I forgot one question related to the main topic before we move into the rapid fire questions and that is uh, uh nutrition for recovery. So uh, I'm thinking specifically about post-workout nutrition. Uh, What do you tell your athletes to do after your workouts in terms of nutrition?
0: Well, usually about one gram per kilogram of body weight of carbohydrate and anywhere from 10 to 15 grams of protein. And of course, for every pound of weight loss – 20 to 24 ounces of fluid that has some and some sodium in the meal will help with rehydration, and just remember that recovery nutrition is really just getting the process started. Um, it, it's really about um, jump starting that process. So it's very important if you have four hours between the two, uh, two workouts, or eight hours, or 12 hours. If you have 24 hours, you're getting it started, but you still have that whole time between workouts to really replenish and repair, and but i but what i find is that a lot of athletes think if they have this one recovery snack they're completely recovered they're not it's really just getting the process started so we know that you know in that hour after training all these processes are kind of at an accelerated rate and you're going to make muscle glycogen at a much faster rate than you will like in 2 hours or 4 hours but you still have to continue to replenish your body before the next workout and triathletes often have less than 24 hours to do that. So it's just really important to think of it as the start to the next meal, the next snack. But I suppose that's what makes triathlon training so fun is that you get to eat, right?
1: <laughs> it is part of it. And I, I was thinking silently, part of it. silently <laughs> when you talked about vegetarians and vegans. That can they supplement with beer? Because that's high in vitamin B or at least contains vitamin B, doesn't it?
0: Actually, alcohol uses up B vitamins. When you process alcohol, you use up some B vitamins. Oh, really? So, no, I wouldn't recommend wow. that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I need to take back my advice. That No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I haven't given out such advice. Uh, about that recovery still, how important is it to, to get that? How quick should you get that recovery snack in? And how important is it to get it really quickly?
0: Well, it's important if you're going to really be working out again in less than 12 hours or eight hours. Um, I think it's important just... From a sense of how you feel after workout, you know if you feel really depleted and you're just hungry, it's gonna feel very good to start to eat a snack and have something. But if it was an easy workout and you're gonna do a workout again in in twenty four hours, it's not like imperative; it just means that you have to start eating well and and getting all those nutrients in until the next workout but your recovery from an easy workout is going to be a lot simpler than from a a long your long bike day or or your long run day yeah you know so let's say you do your long run on Saturdays and your long bike on Sundays that's really common here you know just with the weekend schedule and I I imagine that's common for a lot of people Um, really replenishing after that long run you're going to I'm sure you're going to be somewhat dehydrated it's hard to replace fluid during a run And fuel, you know, takes a little bit more work than on the bike, you can't carry things as easily, you know, starting that right away, especially if you're going to start your long bike in about 18 hours, it's really important to start that right away.
1: Mm. Okay so that's it for the nutrition questions that I had so now the only thing that's left left is the rapid fire questions which are just take like one or one or two quick sentences to answer these starting with what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon or nutrition in endurance sports in general
0: um, really, I just rely on keeping up with the research and the researchers that I respect and what they're um, writing about and what they're talking about. Um, I often attend the American College of Sports Medicine annual meeting to keep up with all the new things that are coming out um, and just following researchers that I respect on Twitter so I know what they're up to. I think that's great. That's been a great way to kind of connect with them.
1: Can you give one, one good one good Twitter account that we can follow, some nutrition researcher that. Posts I think lessons.
0: Asker Asker Jukendrup has good information.
1: Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Yep. Next, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment?
0: Definitely my bike.
1: What do you have for your bike?
0: I have a Fuji Supreme SL uh, women's racing bike, right. and I just love it. Yeah.
1: What's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success?
0: In triathlon.
1: Or in life, in your career?
0: Um, I think something that's really helpful is whether this is for training or my work day is the day before, at the end of my day, is planning everything I need to do for the next day and and mapping out what my next day is going to look like so that I'm ready to go. And I can just plug in those things into my day, whether it's, you know, when I'm going to train, what I'm going to eat, what food is available, what I need to do for my business um, and mapping out my day of work and what I want to accomplish. I think that's very helpful to do it the night before. And I think you have to plan a lot if you're going to work and train for triathlon.
1: Yeah, totally. All right, Monique, this has been really great. I really appreciate your time. And uh, we can Thank find you. you and listeners can find you on your website, I guess, MoniqueRyan.com, and your Twitter as well, Monique Ryan yes. RDN, I think it is. Uh, yes. Anything else that you want to mention be, before we close off this interview?
0: Um, no, just that I have, I can put together nutrition plans for anybody, anywhere in North America or in Europe, Australia, in terms of uh, my, my sports nutrition e-programs. Those are all pretty much um, online and uh, individualized and personalized. So I can do that really for anybody, anywhere.
1: That's day-to-day and in, in and around training, com- the complete package. Or, day-to-day, or
0: how- in and around training, and also for the, the race event itself.
1: Got it. Okay, yeah. So any listeners that want that, then make sure to go and check Monique out, out on MoniqueRyan.com. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a pleasure, and uh, talk soon. Bye.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
1: I really hope that you found a lot of value in this interview. I think it one of the, my favorite things about this interview was how Monique knows everything about the science and the evidence, but she also, as I said, she has that practical experience and sees this every day and uses applies this every day in athletes. So that's super, super important to, to have the combination of the two there, of course. And for me, there's one big takeaway from this episode... You heard it in the teaser quote from this episode. I selected it because it's it's such a big pet peeve of mine, and it's labeled diets. There's just no benefit of going on a labeled diet and cutting out food groups or restricting them for most endurance athletes. And uh, me and Monique, actually, we had a quite a long post-injury chat on this topic as well. And uh, yeah, Monique sees this uh, so much in her daily practice with athletes that... I can only assume that a lot of the listeners of this show are also on or are considering going on labeled diets. But I'd like to, uh, I guess, ask you, do you know actually why you are considering going on that diet? Do you have any particular reason for it other than poorly researched articles or headlines or some friend telling you it's so great? If, If you don't have a really good answer, then why are you doing that? You Cutting out flexibility of your nutrition. Uh, I think that a lot of the anecdotal evidence that may be out there comes from things like the fact that people, they don't go from a healthy endurance-forted diet of agnostic healthy eating. That's a term that I'm stealing freely from Matt Fitzgerald. Uh, to something like paleo or any other LCHF, any other label diet. But they go from a bad diet full of processed food to, let's say, paleo. So yeah, they get rid of the junk food. And of course, they're going to feel so much better. But it's not that paleo in itself is so great. It's just that they get rid of the junk food. But I mean, that's something that you can definitely do but but you don't need to put a name to the way that you eat I mean I mean most of you probably don't put a name I don't believe anybody should put a name on the way that they train that as well should be flexible it should be adaptable it should change be or it should be changeable when you find that things aren't working anymore so why would you do that with nutrition when you just just do with your nutrition the way that you do with your training have a flexible approach and, and don't I, get into labeling things rant over from my side for this time at least so for this episode, as usual, you can find the show notes and you can comment on this episode and the interview on thattraflonshow.com. Just click through to this interview. And for further listening, be sure to check out episodes 94 and 95 as well, where I talked about the nutrition statement, position statement from that we mentioned in the interview as well, and a link to that in the show notes. And I have to ask, by the way, before we close this episode, All new listeners of the podcast, because there has been a lot of new listeners in January, so welcome, I'm very happy to have you. First, subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any future episodes, and also, if you think it's a useful podcast, make sure that you tell all your triathlon friends or endurance sports friends in general about it. It really, really helps a lot if you do. And finally, I really want to thank our sponsors. They help keep the show alive and keep it going. Triathlon Corner. It's the online home of shopping triathlon products like Garmin, Hoka One One, as I mentioned, Stages. They have bike computers. They have Zone free and Mako wetsuits. They have everything for swimming, biking, running, electronics, nutrition check them out at triathlon-corner.store and they ship worldwide they have great products and prices and if you're in Helsinki you'll find the brick and mortar store in Vallila, which is actually close to where I used to work like 200 meters close or something like that so you can go and check out their indoor bike studio and tons of other cool stuff that's going on there and thank you to Precision Hydration. Believe it or not, but it's getting kind of warm here in Lisbon again. I'm recording this in, in January, but it's it's getting warm. It's getting uh, towards spring, so I'm really happy about that, of course. And I'm really happy that I can stay on top of my electrolyte needs using precision hydration products. I'm back to drinking uh, around the three liters for my long rides, and it's all precision hydration. Take them up on the offer to all the listeners to get a free box of pH product by using the promo code Show all one word, at checkout on precisionhydration.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart, and keep loving triathlon.